0: Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's sermon podcast. We are often really curious about who's in, who's going to heaven, who's saved. But the answer is often way more simple than we make. it. You're listening to guest minister, Reverend John Opkenorth, the president of Words of Hope Ministry. So as we get ready to hear the word tonight, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Open your word to us, let it rule us, let your spirit guide us, let the glory of Jesus be our one concern, in whose name we pray, amen. I patently resist naming sermons, I just don't like it. So when Pastor Peter and then Pastor Mike asked, you know, what's the title of your sermon, I didn't have one. And so finally I came up with this one, who's in, and I didn't like it. But the more I thought about it, the more I like it. So maybe I'll have to start giving my sermons titles from now on. It has two meanings, as you'll see. The first meaning is to do with who's in, like as in who's in the kingdom, the, the small town that I grew up in, Oostburg, Wisconsin, East Village in the Dutch language, um, it was a small town, not bigger than Caledonia or any of the little burgs around, around Grand Rapids. Um, it was large enough to support four Calvinist denominational churches. There was, as you can imagine, the Reformed and the Christian Reformed. There was a Presbyterian church and an Orthodox Presbyterian church. In the, in the history of Christianity and in the spectrum of biblical theology that's in the world today, the overall differences between them theologically were such that it was hard to, would be hard to squeeze a piece of floss between them like two packed molars in the back of your mouth. You know what I'm saying? But as a kid, it felt like there was a Grand Canyon-sized cavity between our congregations. Finally I asked a friend that went to one of the other denominations I think it was the Orthodox Presbyterian It doesn't really matter in this sense But I asked him, do people from your church think that people from my church are going to heaven? And he thought about it for a minute and he said, well I think so I I think they'd say, I think so But I'd rather not be in your shoes when Jesus comes again I went. Uh, I was from the Reformed Church, by the way, and I went to Fuller Seminary, this this uh, evangelical seminary on the West Coast, with dozens of denominations. And there too, I met people who wondered if I was really in. I met some Baptists who questioned my salvation because I was sprinkled as a baby and not dunked as an adult. I met Charismatics. A vineyard was a very popular denomination in those days. And they wondered about my salvation because I neither spoke in tongues nor had any miracles attributed to my fervent prayer life. And then I met United Methodists and I began to wonder if they could be saved. (laughs) Who's in? This was a question for the early church, too. It's a question that Paul gets at in the book of Romans. Romans is, of course... Paul was a Calvinist before Calvin, I think. It, um, Romans is, of course, this grand theological treatise. In, in October, the end of it, if you read the words of a devotional, I'm writing two weeks on chapters 1 through 8 that have just gone to press, and I just love the book of Romans. I think, though, that it's primarily a missionary text. Paul is writing to the church at Rome And he famously divides the book into three large sections, much of which mirror the Catechism's three large sections of sin, salvation, and service, or guilt, grace, and gratitude. The first part of the book describes the universal sin of all humanity, Jews and Greeks and pagans of all kinds. The middle part of the book is all about the salvation, the grace of God in Jesus Christ that is available to everyone who will call on his name. We'll see that in Romans 10. And then, of course, 12 to the end is about our service in, uh, in a pluralistic society. But I want us to listen to the simplicity of the gospel in chapter 10, verses 1 to 17. Brothers and sisters... My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. They have not all obeyed the message or the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Did you catch the simplicity? I'd like to make a a couple of observations and an invitation. The the observations are, first of all, the, the human tendency to complicate the gospel and the second observation is the divine simplicity of the gospel and then an invitation but but there is this human tendency to to complicate the gospel It's what paul is getting at when he says in chapter 10 verse 1 my heart's desire and prayer to god for them the them are the jewish people particularly the jewish elders the pharisees the sadducees the teachers of the law the elders and and the people of jerusalem that paul encountered Throughout his, his ministry and career. And he, he bears them witness, he says, that they have a zeal for God. They were zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. That is, they, they were, he, he, he testifies. That they wanted to do the right thing. And of course, if you know the book of Romans, you know that he spends a good part of it describing how even in the Old Testament, Abraham is saved by faith and not by works. And yet so many of the Jewish leaders of the day uh, wanted to articulate what it meant to obey the law. And Paul is, in essence, I think, saying that it was based from a good motivation. They just wanted to know, am I doing the right thing? And so they would take the commands, for example. The Ten Commandments sound very simple and straightforward, but they were written centuries before the first century. And by the time the first century had come along, and even to this day, faithful Jewish leaders were trying to articulate what does it mean in our day to keep the Sabbath or to not take the name of the Lord in vain. And so there were elaborate rules, and you can read them in some of the ancient texts, particularly at the time of Jesus. How much work could you do on the Sabbath before it counted as work. So they had rules about how far you could walk to synagogue before it was work. How much food preparation could you do on the Sabbath before it counted as work? How much agricultural work could you do on the Sabbath before it counted as work? It was from a good place. They they wanted to know, were they pleasing God? I I compare it in some ways to to the checkoff lists I make every day. I am a relentless list maker, my to-do list. So I go to bed each evening. I make a list for what has to be done tonight. I'll do that for Monday. When Monday afternoon comes, the last thing I'll do is I'll look at my list, and I'll, I just get great satisfaction from checking off the list. Is there anyone here who'd give a testimony to that end? All right. And if by God's grace, I do something that was not on that list, when I come to the end of tomorrow, I will write it down to the bottom of the list so I can have the pleasure of checking it off. I just want to know, did I do a good job? Did I, did I give words of hope a, a solid 8, 9, 10 hours today that I can feel good about? That's the motivation I think Paul is talking about when he says he bears them witness. The problem is that they had, began to find, they had begun to find the assurance of their salvation in their ability to check the box. There is, even in our contemporary understanding of the faith, a legalistic mentality or a philosophical ideology that says this is what it really means to be a Christian. Do you know what I mean? I, I saw it growing up, got taste of this. On, on our, you know, in our little town, nothing was open on, on Sunday, but our family had very, very consistent Sunday observances. We went to church and Sunday school. We ate a, a quick lunch, especially in the fall. And then at noon, central time in Wisconsin, we turned the television on to watch football our team was the Green Bay Packers. And then we'd get, grab a short nap and then we'd go to uh, Sunday evening youth group and Sunday evening church. That was our Sunday ritual. One time we invited uh, a pastor to our house for lunch and uh, to uh, participate with the family in our activities. And so we had a, a church Sunday school a lunch in order to get dessert we had to tell mom and dad one thing we got from the sermon the pastor really liked that and then we gathered around the television turned on the tv and I thought the pastor was going to have a heart attack because we not only were watching television on Sunday we were watching grown men earn a paycheck on Sunday and so I wondered what kind of what kind of pastoral relationship he'd have with the church because you know they that was pretty much how we did things in that town. It was a great ministry. It went well, and there were reasons why we should have more time for rest on the Sabbath. I had a good chuckle today. I, I preached this morning on the north side of Muskegon, and my whole thing I thought about on the way home was I had, I had two things I wanted to do, to enjoy my leftovers of a great grilling that I did yesterday, some tri-tip from Costco, and to sit down and watch the Europa uh, uh, Gulf... Uh, not golf, uh, soccer. So the Netherlands were praying the Czech Republic today on, on ESPN. And I was going to just sit down and enjoy this this great soccer event. And uh, as fate would have it, in Holland uh, Township, we have Spectrum Cable TV. And it was out all afternoon, so I couldn't even watch so- I thought, this is God's way of getting me for this particular message. I, d- I don't know. But in any event... We have that tendency, don't we? Jesus and. Jesus and our politics. Jesus and what, where we get our news from. Jesus and uh, how we feel about this, that, and the other thing. In so doing, we've over so sometimes so overcomplicated the gospel that we forget that it's, it is simply one person telling another one, like Andrew did to, to Peter in John chapter 1, come and see, could this be the Messiah? And Paul in the epistle to the Romans in this part, of the, this part of the letter is reminding them in the second observation that I have is, is that the gospel is utterly simple. He makes it so simple. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. The repetition of all and everyone brings almost to a climax that all that Paul has been saying about the universality of sin in Romans and the universality of the possibility of salvation by faith through grace in Jesus. He says it again and again. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 11, scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, The same Lord is Lord of all. All who call on him receive his riches. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's like an explosion of the universal appeal of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for all people, Jews and Greeks and all nations, all places, everywhere at all times. Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness, and not only that, Paul says, he he uses this little phrase in verse 8, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, and whenever I see the word, word, describing scripture in the text of the New Testament, I cannot help but think, what does it mean? And when scripture talks about the word of God, it certainly does include the the black ink on the white pages of the printed page or on the scroll of the Torah or on the the app on our smartphones or however we might receive the, the, the grammatical construction of God's word. It certainly includes all of those things, but it supremely is about a person named Jesus. Because The Word of God is not simply grammatical constructions of audible language. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on in chapter 1, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us for a while. Jesus Christ is the living word of God that is near to every human being and available to them. It is not some secret code that must be somehow deciphered. It is not a list of of stipulations to be done in order to be earned. It is simply saying, come and see, is this the Messiah? And whenever we overcomplicate it, it will lead us down one of two paths. We will either become self-righteous in our belief to say, I've done it, I've checked off all the boxes. Or we'll become so self-defeated to think I could never measure up to the people in the church and their expectations. But when the reformers said that salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, and faith alone, they meant it. And of course, all of the doctrines like predestination and and I was quizzed in my classes, ordination exams about infralapsarianism and supralapsarianism, if you know those things. They all have their place and importance for us to think about. But in the final analysis... What matters is what will we do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? If we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Paul says it, it's with a heart that one believes and is justified. If we can accept that Jesus Christ has actually risen from the dead, we will we will be delighted to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Death has been conquered. The grave is no more. And yes, COVID 19 and the pandemic and the loss of life in our country and right now ongoing around the world is terrible. But for everyone who knows Jesus Christ, it is not the end. Amen? <sighs> Carl F.H. Henry was one of the key people of evangelicalism in the 20th century. He said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Who's in? Everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Those are my observations. The invitation is... Just a reminder that God is on the move, and we get to be a part of it. One little story from Niger, where we work with Reframe. The last—it's actually the last, uh, second-to-last trip that I took before the pandemic, January of 2020. Dr. Sellis, uh, some of the staff from, from Reframe, and I. And some of our staff went to Niger and did an in-depth assessment of the ministry, part of which is equipping them to develop indigenous strategic planning. One of the ideas that they came up with was in sub-Saharan Africa or in West Africa, the Sahel, we're on many FM stations locally in the local tribal languages and then in French on the national station. And they made the observation that if somebody misses the once a week half hour broadcast, they're out in the field doing work, they simply won't hear it again for a week. And so they had developed a three year plan that at the end of three years, they would be distributing micro SD cards the size of your thumbnail, putting them, which you can put into a, a cell phone. Most of the world has cell phones that have. Um, SD card slots in them, and it functions as a little radio player. They don't need another piece of equipment. They already have it. They just need the little card that can go in it. And last August, midst of the pandemic, our leader, Samela Labo, sent me a video of a man in a village called Bilma, Niger. You can look it up on Google, zoom in on it. It's nothing there. It's just a little desert town. And he showed me a picture of a Muslim man with this Nokia brick phone of an old phone and and he was listening I said what's he listening to our SD cards and I said you're three years ahead of schedule how'd this happen you know I wondered uh, how, how did we arrange for that he said oh we decided not to wait we thought this was such a good idea we approached our churches to help us Now, there's 22 million people in Niger. Of that number, less than 100,000, about 87,000, according to Operation World, are Christians. So less than half of 1% are Christian. Of that 87,000, 10,000 are in the denomination that we work with, completely indigenous, completely self-supporting, except for facilities, infrastructure, and some of the missional endeavors that they do. And and he said, we're challenging our members, all 10,000, to donate one card, uh, one memory card in addition to their regular offerings. And I was astounded by the, what happens when you allow people to develop strategies and how to resource them. And I, said, and I said, what does one of those cards cost? He said, 2,000 SIFA, which translated as about four or five US dollars. Now I'm guessing most of us, if I said, hey, can each of us do five bucks for a memory card, we'd all come up with a, with a, with a $5 bill and say, here you go. But for them, $5 is one to three days wages in addition to what they're already giving to their church. My heart was filled with humble joy. These sisters and brothers were dedicating a day, two days, three days' wage so that one card could be given away in a village that was open to the gospel, played in a phone, and in the average compound, There's about 10 people living can hear a gospel message in a language they can understand. It's Romans 10 all over again. How can they call on him who they have not believed? How can they believe in one whom they've never heard? How can they hear without someone preaching? How can they preach unless they are sent? It's a classic mission text, but to see it lived out is such an incredible joy. In fact, I think a case can be made that Paul is writing the entire book of romans for the purpose of what he's going to say in romans 15 when he says that he's going to visit his plan is to visit rome on his way to spain so he can preach the gospel there he's asking them to receive an offering for him to send him on his way i think it's a whole it could a case could be made that one of the reasons paul wrote the book of romans was to set the church up for his missionary trip to rome so my invitation really to, to you as a body, and you're already doing it, is just to stay in the game. Who's in has a second, a second meaning. Who's in it with us? Who's in it for the lost in our world? I, I love how um, Leslie Newbegin puts it when, when he talks about uh, evangelism and predestination. He says, there's a long tradition which sees the mission of the church primarily, excuse me, as obedience to a command. That's not predisposed to a command. It has been customary to speak of the missionary mandate. This way of putting the matter is certainly not without justification. And yet it seems to me that it misses the point. It it tends to make mission a burden rather than a joy. Another checkoff list to make it part of the law rather than part of the gospel. If one looks at the New Testament evidence, one gets another impression. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that, rejected, that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like the fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout which is not lethal, but life-giving. It's my contention in the church of Jesus Christ today that what we need more than anything else is not another uh, sermon or mandate to say, We've got to give because Christ says we've got to give for missions or we've got to go because Christ says go or we've, we've got to evangelize because Christ says to evangelize. All of which is true but the fundamental motivation of being a person on mission in the kingdom is the joy of the Lord that comes to a human being to us as we receive him into our life and understand that yes, death is conquered sin is paid for i am set free and will live forever with my faithful savior jesus christ it should be an explosion of joy spilling out into grand rapids and into west michigan and across the world so who's in In the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen father uh, thank you for the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ and for the privilege of sharing it with people around the world in the language that they can understand. May your word find a home in our hearts and accomplish the purpose, Lord, for which you sent it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.